Thank you so much. I just want to say a big thanks to Vance and Evan for being up here with me today. They make it much easier to play some of these songs. Fabulous night. 
Here is to the joy of being together. Here is to the delight that we find when we are in community. Here is to finding a church home, a church home that I can come home to, and coming to that home every Sunday. As we kindle, as we kindle our chalices, our symbol of our faith, let's celebrate together and being together. Please join in singing hymn 69, Give Thanks. Please be seated. Well, good morning. good morning. I'm Judy Goring. Well, well, maybe not today. Today, I'm more like the UU goddess of wine tasting. Whether you're in the physical or virtual sanctuary, in the social hall or family room, no matter who or what you are, you are welcome here. Now let's be clear. Here we welcome goblins and ghouls, saints and sinners, angels and devils. We welcome Superman and Wonder Woman, Black Panther, Batman, Spider-Man, Black Widow, and Thor. Indeed, we welcome both superheroes and superstars. Here, we welcome you and all of who or what you are today. It's good to be together, whether it's your first time or whether you're already familiar with this place, you are all an essential part of our celebration today. Our services are multi-generational and they tend to be a little lively. Kids can sit right up front or anywhere in the sanctuary. We have a playground down in front for our smallest congregants with a soft rug and cool toys. There's a children's table in the back with some quiet activities. And for youngsters who could use, you know, a little more room to move around, 
the family room across the hall has toys and a live feed of the service. We are all one people of many beliefs, many origins, sexualities, and genders. We are all growing, all learning, all loved. You are welcome here. Well, you got your blood moving a little bit already. How about some breathing now to fill that blood with oxygen and send it to every last part of you, even your pinky toe, even your ears. Let's breathe together as we prepare for meditation. Feeling the good energy of this room, the sanctuary. Giving a little more weight over to that seat, if possible. Maybe there's some tension somewhere that you can soften a little bit. Sometimes it's too hard to let it all the way go, but what if it got 10% softer with your next exhalation? And then again with the one after that. Face, shoulders, stomach, our stomachs, those second brains of ours, the ones that keep count of everything that worries us. Send a little love down there to your stomach. We'll continue in two minutes of relative stillness, of relative silence. Two minutes that are a, like a gem in the busyness of our lives. Two minutes of meditation with each other. All the little sounds are just like chimes calling our attention to the present.
Let's lift up some prayers. Maine is on our minds as they grieve many deaths for the major act of violence. We hold them in our hearts. Pray for comfort in this inexplicable time. We lift up all who are suffering the effects of war people in Israel, in Gaza, Ukraine, all the places in the world. We lift up all who are directly impacted and all who are indirectly impacted, which is all of us. And we lift up those who are experiencing isolation, fear of persecution or division in their families or communities. I invite you to call to mind the names that are in your hearts this morning, people and places for whom you have a prayer, and speak them aloud as the chime rings, if you like, so that we can hold them with you. All of these we lift up to the source of all. And we pray for peace, for peace, for healing, for repair, for moral, life-affirming leadership. We pray for better imaginations together as humankind. We pray for remembering what we are and to whom and to what we truly belong. This month included the poet E.E. E. Cummings' birthday. He was born to Unitarian parents in 1894, and he was known to have transcendentalist leanings, believing that people are born good and that the divine is right here in the world, the everyday world. One of his most famous poems is a prayer, our congregational prayer for today. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I who have died am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and of love and of wings and of the gay, great, happening, illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the know of all, nothing, human, merely being, doubt, unimaginable, you? Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. Peace be with you.
to say welcome home to Bob. And this is a song that goes out to him specifically.
before I get rolling, I want to thank uh, Gwen and Viv for the appropriate pulpit decoration. I have indeed done some Roman around the globe. But it makes me a little anxious to give this talk. Not that I've forgotten how to preach in the last four months. Although if you've asked me last weekend when I came back, first came back, that would have been a possibility. I was so fumbling, I mean, like just stumbling around the platform, wondering when I was supposed to speak and you know, where's, where are my shoes? It's a big, big adjustment. I'm anxious, but it's because I'm concerned that what I talk about will land as a kind of what I did on my summer vacation. You know, a travelogue of the cool places I went and the amazing experiences I had and frankly, the kind of things that privilege grants us so I want to start by acknowledging that what I did during my sabbatical was indeed a great privilege, privilege that's not available to some people in this church and to most people in this city. And it reminds me of one of the reasons why some UU churches stopped doing water communion. Water communion, if you haven't seen one before, is a ritual where members of the congregation bring uh, like each pour water into a shared vessel and the water they choose that they bring is ideally from a source that has significance to the individual and possibly the congregation as a whole. So the metaphor is that as we share waters, we're sharing our stories, our hopes and our concerns. It's a lovely metaphor, nice concept, right? But what sometimes happens is that folks would bring water from their exotic vacations here is some water that I brought from our trip to Bali, or something like that. And it became a kind of status-seeking, a separateness which defies the, the purpose of the ritual. So I don't want to do that. What I do want to do is tell you the way I've been up to for two reasons. First, my sabbatical was on the congregation's dime. And that, for that reason, I think I owe the congregation an explanation of what I've been up to. <laughs> And the second reason is that I hope that my, my reflections, my experiences while I was away might be of some use to folks as they think about their UU faith, as they think about this church specifically. So in that spirit, let's begin. I jumped right into my sabbatical and the day after it began in mid-June, I went up to Ghost Ranch to be the keynote speaker for the Western UU Life Festival or WOLF. And Wolf is a week-long family camp for UUs, primarily from the Mountain West, but there are folks from all over. It's been going on for decades, so much so that some of the folks who were running this year's camp were kids in the camp when they were, you know, years and years and years ago. So that's, that's uh, you get a sense of like how much, how much they've, they've been doing things. And it's everything that you'd expect from a UU camp, meaning there's a huge variety of activities, things from, square dancing to foraging to a class on African goddesses. I taught an abbreviated version of the Creating Theology Together curriculum, which, by the way, I'm gonna talk more about later. And this year's Wolf, by the way, is from June 17th to June 23rd. Registration is open, and it's something I would recommend to anyone. You don't have to go, you don't have to be a family to go. I mean, I went as a singleton. And all the activities are strictly optional because it's UU. <laughs> and you get to hang out at Ghost Ranch with really cool people. And another thing about this is that it's really good to have an opportunity to talk to Unitarian Universalists 
who go to other churches. To hear about the challenges that we all share in this moment, but also be able to appreciate what we specifically have in this church that other folks may not have. And it's possible to forget that we're part of a movement. And going to these kinds of gatherings reminds us that we're part of something bigger than just this church. Anyway, just days after I shook the sand from Ghost Ranch out of my clothes, I was on a plane to France. And uh, my plan was to walk the Camino de Santiago, uh, which is a thousand-year-old pilgrimage route. goes 470 miles from the southwest part of France to the west part of Spain. And the route is lined with hostels and other services for the pilgrims, or peregrinos as they're called there. So I set out from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, just north of the Pyrenees in France, with a very minimalist backpack and an open mind. And I'm not gonna lie, that first day was really, really hard, going up and over the Pyrenees. But I did it, I kept going for about a week, and it was really interesting uh, and beautiful to meet these other people along the way. Um, you know, you're, everyone's sort of walking as a cohort, so you would bump into people day after day, and maybe not walk with them very long, but sort of start to develop regulars that you bump into. And I remember these two women who I'd see every now and then, and they didn't speak English, and sometimes I would hear them murmuring back and forth, back and forth as they walked. And it seemed like a very earnest and tender conversation. And then I saw that, that they were, as I walked up on them, I saw that they were praying the rosary and they were taking turns, taking every other line as they walked. And they would just do it over and over and over. And I was so touched by their quiet devotion. And it's beautiful to see how other people practice their faith sometimes. But as for me, after a week of walking, a heat dome settled over the part of Spain that I was walking in, and it became untenable to hike with a pack 15 miles a day. I mean, it would be nine degrees at 10 a.m. and get hotter. Uh, it just, I decided then that heat stroke is not a spiritual experience, <laughs> not one I wanted to have. Although one could argue that I might meet God much sooner, and there's that too. But, uh, you know, I, I had made a, a commitment before I started that I wasn't going to do the Camino just to finish it. And if I decided somewhere along the way that it wasn't working for me, I'd stop. So I stopped. And I hung around a few cities in Spain for a bit, then visited beloved friends in Nice on the French Riviera. That was cool. Uh, and then came home earlier than originally planned with lots of good memories. Still a great trip. I'd love to go back and do another stretch of the Camino, just not in July. <laughs> but this was a good lesson, a good lesson in letting go of things that don't serve us. Letting go of things that don't serve us, even if we actually put a lot of effort into preparing for them. The Camino was no longer serving me, and I let it go. And I didn't suffer, I just hung out and ate tapas and you know walked around beautiful cities. But but the thing that stood out from my travels was how heavily impacted they were by global warming. Obviously the heat dome was intense and there were wildfires along the route of the Camino. When I got back to the States, I lingered on the East Coast catching up with friends and family. And my travels, my flying to and fro, 
were constantly interrupted by extreme weather. And I am not exaggerating when I say literally every flight I took was either delayed or canceled or ended up at a different destination than what I intended. I would leave to go to Baltimore and end up in Richmond. It was wild. When I was in Western Massachusetts, I tried to take a train to New York City, but it had rained so hard in Western Massachusetts that the tracks were destabilized and the train was canceled, it couldn't run safely. And I used to think of trains as the one for form of transit that is impervious to the weather, they're so huge, but even trains are not immune from global warming. And the summer we just had will, as we know, just be the baseline for even more weather chaos in the future. It was sobering to see the real consequences. And I'm one of the lucky ones, like my village isn't disappearing under a rising ocean or hasn't been wiped off the earth by a wildfire. So there's no pretending, there's no more pretending and that actually should have been the case 30 years ago, but it really is the case now. And related to that, I started to feel like all the traveling I was doing, the flying especially, I started to feel a little bit like an unhealthy indulgence given the climate moment that we're in. I mean, I've been to, to Europe a few times already and I really didn't need to burn a ton of jet fuel to fly around the continent. And I've been reading lately about hyper-locality and vacations. And the idea is that instead of flying to Bali, for example, that we use our time off to travel to those places that are close to where we live. And we can support local businesses rather than chains, explore and develop relationships that we actually might revisit because they're within 50 miles of where we live. So this might involve like having a picnic, just using takeout from a local restaurant or staying at a local hotel instead of your house or apartment or visiting a state park that's nearby but you just never got around to check it out before. I mean, if I'm honest with myself, I'm still gonna fly from time to time, I have family back east, but especially in a vibrant, diverse place like New Mexico, this hyper-local vacation thing seems like a really good option. Anyways, when I got back from Europe, I got RSV, so that was fun. And it was kind of frustrating to spend three weeks of my, my, you know, my, my sabbatical, my precious sabbatical time coughing my lungs out, but apparently that's how we roll these days. Uh, after I got my health together though, I enjoyed working on my house and doing some really deep rest. I took a stand-up comedy class, which I'm pretty sure didn't make me any funnier, but <laughs> it was worth a try. I started with a new therapist, that was fantastic. I got a dog, that was very cool. I started taking Aqua Zumba classes at my gym. Aqua Zumba is deeply underrated. It's like me and like 12 apeladitos you know, dancing to Spanish music in the water. And the, the thing about being chest deep in the water, for someone like me, it's like, it hides the fact that I'm completely clumsy and arrhythmic, <laughs> flailing around. But it is the only workout that I've ever done where I smile all the way through. Um, I mean, I will be real too. The part of my sabbatical where I was hanging out in the French Riviera was more interesting than the Albuquerque part. But I love the Albuquerque part too. Anyways, because I wasn't working on Sunday mornings, I did something that I've been meaning to do for a while. And I went to Sunday worship at the three biggest evangelical churches in, Albuquer in Albuquerque. Those were Sagebrush, Calvary, and Legacy. 
And you'll be surprised to hear me say this, but I went with an open heart. I really wanted to sincerely understand what people were getting fed by when they went there. Why were they there? What consolation or inspiration or guidance were they finding there that helped them live life? Because life is hard. So I, I, I take them at their word that they're making a sincere decision to be there. Um, I think it's gonna, I think that whole experience is gonna be the topic of another sermon, so I'm gonna leave it at that. But I will say that some of what I saw was surprising in a positive way. And unsurprisingly, some of it was deeply disturbing. So to be continued, my friends. But even though I wasn't working, of course I was thinking about the church. I cannot not think about the church. And I found myself asking some big questions. Let me get hydrated here. Mm. So one of the first questions I chewed on was, if I wasn't already working here, if I wasn't already working here, would I go to this church? And I think some context would help with why I was asking myself this question. When I left on my sabbatical, I was, frankly, exhausted and burnt out. That is not a good space for doing quality ministry. I found myself becoming impatient too quickly and struggling to focus. So at the time, at the beginning of my sabbatical, it was a legitimate question. Would I want to go to church here? But over time, over the course of the months I was away, I was able to separate the pressures of the job of minister from this church as a religious community. And as I did that, I saw emphatically that, yes, I would definitely attend this church because I am a Unitarian Universalist at my core, and this church does good UU. This church does really good UU, and I would be glad to be coming here. Thanks. Another question I had didn't have such a clear answer. I wondered, what does the moment that we're in call for in the way of community? What does the moment that we're in call us to do as a community? And could a religious community, could any religious community meet that call? I don't need to tell you how challenging this moment is. And we are witness to the yawning gap between the problems or better, better described crises that we're in and the ability of our civic institutions, especially government, to meet those crises. And what about our personal challenges, the epidemic of loneliness, the struggle to make meaning and purpose in capitalism and in, amidst online culture? Really, how do we find hope in the dark? Well, like I said, I, I didn't come up with an easy answer, mostly because I don't think there is an easy one. But I do think a lot of the answers lie in the local, the local. The headlines are terrible, and they are mostly about things that we can have virtually no impact on. What we can do, the things we can change, are in our homes, in our neighborhood associations, in our city governments, and they are with the people who are in arm's length of us. Look who's in our, within the arm's length of you right now. I think spiritual communities can offer some help with meaning and purpose and hope. And I'm, honestly, I'm realistic about just how much impact a church can have, but it sure is a decent place to start. So having established that, that religious communities can have an impact, my next question got stickier. Is First Unitarian a religious community that can meet the needs of these times? 
I was really like, I was asking the base questions. Everything was up for questioning. And I think it's important, again, to be realistic about how much we can do. I personally have a tendency to take responsibility for things that are entirely beyond my control. And that may have been a factor in my burnout. And judging this community, this church, by its ability to address every major problem that we face might be a little bit of overreach. So let's not put too much pressure on ourselves. But I do think that our ability to be that church, to be that religious community that rises to the moment, I think that ability has to do with what we believe, with what our theology is. So as Unitarian Universalists, we allow folks to develop their own theology. We're non-credal, as they say. And that's a big responsibility. There is a temptation to coast. Lord knows I do it sometimes. To not examine and re-examine what we really are worshiping. The ways of being what we're just passing on because we're marinating in them. For example, is the way we think about money just mirroring capitalism? Do the things that we do when we gather on Sunday really reflect how we need to lament and celebrate and find inspiration? Do they really reflect that, how we, what we do with our worship, our liturgy? Or are they just enough like the churches that we attended as children to make us comfortable without dealing with the toxic theology? How are we just seeking comfort? To answer these questions, we have to be intentional about our theology, and here's where I'm gonna make a shameless plug. Next Saturday, I'm starting another round of a class creating theology together. This is the second part of a three-part series about theology. And during the first round of creating theology together, we spent time exploring our personal theologies and then began the process of creating a shared theology, what that might look like. So we ran two rounds of that last summer and then last fall. In this session, session two, we're gonna continue that shared theology work but also with a, a view through a very intentional anti-racism and anti-oppression lens. So the class is four sessions every Saturday for four weeks, starting November 4th. If you didn't participate in the round one classes, you're still very welcome. And you can find out how to register in our newsletter, which you can find on our website. Like I said, to meet the needs of the moment, we really need to be clear that our theologies are aligned with what we say we wanna do. We walk in the talk. And we can't do that unless we know our theologies, what they actually are, and what the consequences of those theologies, what they contain. So it reminds me of what our past president of the Unitarian Universalist Association, President Reverend Susan Frederick Gray said, she said, this is no time to go it alone. This is no time for a casual faith. This is no time to go it alone. This is no time for a casual faith. Uh, I'm in trouble saying this, but when I look at your beautiful faces, when I look at this congregation, I know this is not a casual faith to you. I know your stories. I know how you do your work, some of you at least. And I know this is not a casual faith for you. It's such a beautiful thing. I had one, uh, let me drink some water compose myself. I have one final question that I mold during my sabbatical, and I have even less of an answer to show for my mulling, but I like the question. 
I wondered, this church is a pretty comfortable place for a certain kind of person with a certain kind of social location. And that's great. I'm glad that so many people are getting fed here. But how do we make First Unitarian more comfortable for a wider group of people? Can we and are we willing to do that? And here's a question I hated to ask but needed to. Me, as a person with a similar social location to the group that does find it pretty comfortable to be here, and by that I mean as an educated straight white man, am I part of the problem? Am I the right person to lead this work, to help widen the circle of this church? And do my blind spots, because of my social location, prevent me from doing that work well? And here's the answer I came up with. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. But I do see all kinds of encouraging trends. Folks are working on diversity and anti-racism efforts, both explicitly and implicitly all over the church. Our new members are younger and queerer. The past five years have seen unprecedented conversations within our faith denomination and within this specific church about things like white fragility, the eighth principle, widening the circle, addressing climate change, extending our reach into the community, so much more, so much more. I love these trends. And, and I think this church would benefit from a new and improved covenant. Our current covenant is, is a thing called a mission covenant, which I had never heard of until I got here actually. And it goes like this. We, the members of First Unitarian, agree to promote the spiritual, intellectual, and personal growth of each member, minister to each other in an atmosphere of welcome, acceptance, and caring, be a positive force for social, environmental, and economic action, promote the wider understanding of our principles and purposes in the larger community. Finally, provide a dynamic religious education program for all ages. That's a fine aspiration, and I agree with every single thing that it says. It's just very general, very general. It doesn't really give us much guidance. And one thing, so it's lacking specifics, but one thing that I think it's really lacking that I think we really need is that we do not have an explicit and clear path from being out of covenant to making repair and returning to covenant. We don't have a path to go from being out of covenant to repair to returning to covenant, to returning to right relationship. So being human, we're gonna screw up. It's not if but when. Lord knows I screw up regularly. And it, it would be great when that happens if we had a common understanding of what it means to be out of covenant. Because I think our definitions of that have changed radically in the 30 years since that covenant was, that covenant was created. Then it was kind of like, as long as you don't shoot anyone, you're still in covenant. Here, now, as we know now, that you cannot say hurtful things to people and be in covenant. And we do that. We have moments where we lose our tempers or just don't see how our words land. So we need to understand what it means to be out of covenant now. And that's a long, long conversation. And also we need to know what steps that people of good faith, people in this room, 
can take to fix things and to continue as a community. So whatever that system of repairing and return is, I know two things. First, we need to create it together. Shouldn't be from top down. We don't do things that, that way here. And second, it should look nothing like our current legal system, but rather draw its guidance from restorative justice ideals. And I've preached on restorative justice before in the past. I'm not going to go into it now. It's a whole other sermon, but maybe we'll revisit it. But yeah, let's develop a culture of repair, a way to mess up and come back, because that really reflects what it's like to be a human being, right? Yeah. All right. So you know, as Unitarian Universalists, we talk about we value questions as much as we value the answers. And I sure saw that during my sabbatical as I sat with these questions through all my travels and the resting. And I know one thing, these questions are best discussed and answered together, together. Together, we can co-create our visions of this religious community. It's gonna be a group effort. Finally, I can't end a sermon on my sabbatical without saying some thanks. Three specific things, there's a lot of things, but I wanna talk about three specific things. First, the sabbatical itself means a lot to me that this church understands the value of renewal and literally pays for it to happen. So thank you for your, your generosity. And I hope that everyone in their own way, within their possibilities, can find that kind of renewal, that space for renewal. Second, my absence meant that Reverend Angela had to carry the ministerial burdens alone. <laughs> and it's, it's what we do for each other. You know, I did it for Angela two years ago. She does it for me. Um, but still, it's a, a, I'm really grateful. Um, it's good to be back. And finally, thanks for respecting the boundaries, my boundaries, while I was away. A lot of people here, I know, have my cell phone number. But no one broke the sabbatical covenant to, by calling me. And I think that shows a lot of spiritual maturity. So thanks so much for that, holding that boundary. Boundaries are good. May we all find the rest that we deserve. Blessed be. Thank you, Bill. Each week, our church, we take up an offering. It's good to remind ourselves from time to time that the offering is symbolic as well as practical. Those who came before us, those who are no longer here, but are in our hearts and in our memories, built this church. They had a dream to support one another in an atmosphere of welcome, acceptance, and care. We passed the baskets during our worship service to make community expression of thanks for the blessing of abundance to visibly bring in the harvest. Our offering says that the act of giving is as essential to our spiritual well-being and to continue to grow and serve our communities as those who came before us did. Our Change for the Future partner is Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. Their mission is to stop violence against Native women and children by advocating for social change, providing support to Native advocates 
working against domestic violence, sexual assault, dating violence, stalking, and sex trafficking in New Mexico's tribal communities. Let us now give freely and generously an offering to sustain and strengthen our shared religious community. And as the Unitarian goddess of wine tasting, may our vineyards grow and prosper in abundance.
Thank you so much for your generosity on behalf of the congregation and on behalf of our Change for the Future partner. And yes, may these uh, gifts yield good fruit. Yes, all around. <laughs> Thank you, ushers. <laughs> we have some invitations to share. And first, an update from the Radical Generosity Committee. We're getting a little feedback up here, sound team. Thank you. Here's Chris Mayo. Yeah, good morning. I'm with uh, the Radical Generosity, RadGen for short, committee. And uh, we're nearing the end of our pledge drive, so we thought it'd be a good time to, to give you all an update on where we stand. Excuse me. I'd like to say something. Um, who's, who's that? God. <laughs> oh, wow. What a surprise. Oh, oh, God! No, I mean, I mean, gosh! Um, sorry, it's it's not that at all. Um, we we respect and welcome all genders here. You know that. Um, it, it's just we didn't expect you here today. Uh, what what can we do for you, God? Well, it's my peers and I thought. Your peers. Right. You know, Buddha, Krishna, Allah, Jesus, the whole day. We were talking about first Unitarians at our weekly poker game. You have a weekly poker game? Jesus? Yes, Jesus brings the wine. <laughs> we all agreed that with all the good the church is doing, like the food pantry, anti-racism work, English as a second language, advocating for reproduction rights, LGBTQ, God. <laughs> so, as Chris said, we are uh, at the end of the official campaign, the official um, pledge campaign, which means we won't be up here uh, quite as um, pushy, <laughs> asking you for the love of God to please make a pledge, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> really. uh, so, you know, the update is that right now, or as of three days ago, we had 176 pledges. $598. Uh, and in fact, we've gotten a little bit more in since then. Maybe if I walk forward a little bit. Um, and so we are just about 50% of the way to our goal, which is wonderful. Just about halfway to having a fully funded budget plan for next year. Thank you so much to everybody who already turned in a pledge. Um, after today, we'll be taking our, um, our asking kind of behind the scenes and reaching out to anybody we haven't heard from. That is a lot of work for our team of volunteers, and obviously it's necessary, we do it every year, but you can really help by turning in a pledge card or even just letting us know if you can't make a pledge so we know to not bother you about it anymore. And we certainly know that that happens, like it, um, sometimes we can't make a pledge. Uh, and gifts of all the sizes really matter, they add up um, and that is how we get the job done. And 
money is only one of the things that make this church go around. It's necessary, but also we give a lot of time. And so I want to take this moment to say thank you to all of the volunteers who came yesterday, powered up on donuts and coffee, and cleaned up our church grounds. There was a big group. Yes. Thank you. There's Donna who organized it. <laughs> thank you, Donna. They showed up with rakes, clippers, brooms, and left this campus looking a lot more loved and, importantly, a lot less flammable. And if you don't know why I'm saying that, you missed a Sunday recently. <laughs> All right, Judy, you've got a couple of invitations to share. Yes, I do. Thank you. Who likes tacos? Yeah. All right. All right. Who is ready for our Halloween party? It's going to be on Taco Tuesday. October 31st, which is this Tuesday. <laughs> oh, okay. We're inviting our neighbors to join us for tacos and trick-or-treating on Halloween starting at 4.30 in the afternoon. This will be a great opportunity to open our campus to our community, putting our eighth principle into action and enjoy another fun, multi-generational event together. Wear your costumes. Bring a carved pumpkin for judging, too. Attendees can vote for their favorites with cash, and all those donations will go to the Citizenship Test Fund, started by Connie Malecki in 2017. Want to help? Stop by the table in the foyer and talk to Lara Manguson after the service. In addition, we have the All Members Art Show opens today. It's an open secret that many members of our congregation are accomplished visual artists. Come be amazed at the variety and quality of their work. Most artwork is for sale, with 70% of sales going to the artist and 30% going to the church. An opening day Mercado featuring smaller, less expensive artworks is being held today. Come meet the artists and consider doing your Christmas shopping early. Have you been to Walmart lately? <laughs> Cookies will be provided near the coffee station. Cookies. They know how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> One more invitation for you. Um, next Sunday during the services, we'll have a special candle lighting ceremony uh, to remember those who have died uh, at any point in the past. And so we invite you to take part in that and also to bring a copy of a photo of someone you are missing who has died if you like, and we'll have a place to hang them along the sides um, so that we can see this crowd of people who are here in memory and spirit that, we, that are not always visible to us because we carry them in our hearts. So that's next Sunday after the second service, after this 11 o'clock service next Sunday, there'll also be our annual memorial garden um, ceremony, and you're invited to join our minister emerita, Christine Robinson, who will be leading that in memorial garden after the service. Today, I hope you'll stay for coffee hour. The coffee is good. I had some. Probably going to have some more. Maybe you don't need it, but you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> and there will be a chat table there if you'd like to connect with others um, in a discussion circle. Whether you do that or other discussions, it's helpful to have a discussion prompt. So Bob asked a lot of good questions in his sermon. You might pick your favorite one. Discuss. They were wonderful questions. Or what big question do you have about the church right now, about the congregation and the time we're in? Maybe bring that to the table for some rich conversations. 
I invite everyone to rise in body or in spirit. Let's greet each other with a gesture of peace. Peace. It's good to be together. As the music begins following the benediction, you are invited to join our costume parade around the periphery of the sanctuary. There's Mia. If you did not bring a costume, she's got stuff for you to wear. So everyone is encouraged to participate. Angela is helping distributing. And the parade will end when the song ends. So stick around and join the, join the fun. Until next week, may we place love at the center of everything that we do. Go in peace.
Bop, bop, a loop, bop, a 